Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Early investors, they thought I was I was crazy. Like they didn't understand. There's so many great brands in the outdoor industry, and there really are. Uh, you know, why does your brand even need to exist? And how do you even how do you compete against those kind of players? That's the voice of Davis Smith, founder and CEO of Cotopaxi, the beautiful, colorful travel and outdoor gear that you are likely familiar with. Cotopaxi is on track to becoming one of the biggest outdoor brands in the world, challenging brands like Patagonia and North Face. But there are more differences in Cotopaxi than similarities. Plus, Davis prefers the idea of collaboration over competition. Today, we're honored to have Davis talk with us about that, plus those distinctions. We talk about Cotopaxi's origins and some of those stepping stones that were vital to putting Davis and his team on their success path today. Davis is also a survivalist, so we talk about how that equates to entrepreneurship. Plus, his thoughts on building a successful team around you, their mission to impact people through the power of product, what supply chain philanthropy means, and the collaborations they have with companies like our friends at Mir and Tevis. And finally, Davis made the news recently by buying his first company back, a rare opportunity to start over, and we unpack that today. Hi, friends. I'm Bobby Lehu, Common SKU's Chief Content Officer. Davis is also a keynote speaker at SKUCon in Las Vegas on January 9th. SKUCon is the conference for innovators, explorers, and dreamers in the promotional products industry. And Davis will be sharing even more about leading with mission and purpose. SKUCon is the perfect conference to kick off your year because it's high action plus high inspiration. And mostly this year, you can involve everyone, your entire team, because SKUCon will be held both in person and virtual. To learn more and register, visit SKUCon.com. This episode is brought to you by CommonSKU, the work from anywhere platform that powers your connected workflow, enabling you to process more orders and dramatically grow your sales. To learn more or to begin your free trial now, visit commonsq.com. Now, here's my chat with Davis Smith. I just have to say, I conduct a lot of interviews, and in the process, you get to know people both off mic and on. Davis is incredibly authentic, generous, and optimistic, and his care for helping people while creating beautiful products is so inspiring. I hope you enjoy this chat. I began by asking Davis to take us back to what sparked the idea for Cotopaxi, which includes the story of a little boy from Peru named Edgar. A little boy named Edgar in Cusco, Peru, if I got that right, sparked a passion in you that became Cotopaxi. Can you share that story? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. And Bobby, it's great being with you. Thanks for inviting me to join Glad you. Glad to have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this, this, the story of Edgar is, it's a, it's a fascinating one because it, it started uh, almost exactly 20 years ago. Uh, it was in October of 2001. I was a college student uh, and I, I wanted to do an internship working for a nonprofit. I kind of envisioned myself working in the nonprofit world. I, I grew up in Latin America and had known my whole life I wanted to find a way to help people. And while I was in Peru in this beautiful city of Cusco, I met a little boy that was shining shoes. And uh, he approached me as I was sitting on a park bench eating. And uh, there was just a special connection. And I, I offered him my food. I, 
it was shocking to me. I, I don't think I'd ever seen somebody eat like that before. And mm. it touched me. And I decided I wanted to find him again that night. And so I saved some of my dinner and I went out and found him in the streets again. And uh, this became a daily ritual for me. A, a highlight of every single day was finding Edgar. Uh, just a you know, little nine-year-old boy um, on the streets all day, every day. Mm. Uh, didn't go to school. Uh, wore the same clothes every day. And um, one night, uh, my last night in, in Cusco, before I left, I found him sleeping on the street, uh, close to midnight. It was cold. You could see your breath in the air. And uh, I woke him up and he told me that he didn't go home because he was too afraid because he, uh, someone had stolen his shoe shining kit. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic. His mom mm -hmm. depended on him to help feed their family. And uh, it was heartbreaking. I, I gave him the little bit of cash that I had. I didn't have, I didn't have much myself. And um, I went, I went to bed that night, just uh, so just worried about him. I could hardly sleep. The next day I, I got on a bus to leave Cusco and we went around the main plaza to let some people on and off this bus. And I looked out the window and I saw Edgar and he saw me and he ran next to this bus waving goodbye to me. And it was on that bus that I made a commitment that I wanted to use my life to help kids like him. And so, uh, you know, I've thought of Edgar every day for, for 20 years. It's uh, been a really meaningful, um, it's one of those experiences that really shaped, really shaped me as a young person. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, to make a, a long story short, after 15 years or so, I, I went back to Peru uh, with the sole purpose of trying to find him. And, oh, really? Yeah. And, and I did. I found him. Wow. And, uh, we're in touch, uh, multiple times a week. He's one of the most active Facebook users on the planet. So we're, <laughs> we're in touch a lot and, uh, That's great. yeah, we spent time together there and, uh, I helped, I've been helping him. I helped him over the last few years, go through a three-year program to learn to become a tour guide. And so oh, he great. has his own little business now and, uh, oh, that's virtual tours during the pandemic. And now he's, uh, you know, for those that are traveling, He's doing real tours. So it's been oh, a really impactful experience and relationship for me. Well, I, it's a beautiful story. I love asking about Edgar because there are so many small stepping stones to a success story that we, as we look back, we're able to put these pieces together. And at the time, you know, we're just in the middle of it and we don't realize that, that part of the narrative where we're at. And it's such a beautiful part of your story. Also, um, for, for this community, anyways, one of the, one of the interesting aspects about Cotopaxi is that when you started Cotopaxi, you started as a with a passion to create a people business that sold products, which we'll get to in a minute. But another interesting aspect is that you started with a heavy design focus. So why is design such an incredible passion for you and how important is it to the Cotopaxi brand? Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I'm not a designer. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, a, it's not a talent that I necessarily have. I, I did take when I was in high school, my high school actually offered a class called Outdoor Clothing. And I learned how to sew uh, <laughs> some outdoor clothes. I made uh, some packs and bags and uh, some jackets and other outdoor clothes. And I actually, in high school, I started wearing some of these, some funky shorts that I'd make with these kind of funky color blocked pockets. And I had a bunch of friends that wanted some. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of look back and it's like, oh my gosh, like I, I wouldn't have connected those dots to my career today. Yeah. Um, but you know, when I, when I hired, uh, kind of our, our core team, the, the six people, me and five others that I felt I really needed to go build this brand, three of them were designers. And I wow. really believe that that was going to be a core reason this, 
this brand would work. We need to figure yeah. out a way to tell our brand story and our core values through product. And so uh, it's definitely been an interesting part of building this business. Yeah, I love that because um, I love how product can reach one person at a time. There's something about your mission, I think, that is reaching one person at a time in so many different ways. But also entrepreneurs are often miscast as do-it-alone types, but most are really adept at building great teams around them. And so you just mentioned that, that one of the first things you did, you built this team around you, three of them were designers. What have you learned in developing leaders that we can apply uh, to our businesses? I mean, this is something that I've had to learn over the years. I, I was not, I think, innately good at this. I, you know, maybe humans aren't at first, just takes learning. And, you know, I made some hiring mistakes early in my entrepreneurial ventures and had to learn about, about how to hire and how to be really disciplined about who to bring on your team and how to vet them properly. But I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned about team is that, and I think this is one of the most underutilized tools in leadership is love. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I love my team and I tell them that I tell people, I love them. You know, we just had an all hands meeting a few minutes ago that we wrapped up and I told my whole team, I love you. I care for you. I want you to succeed. I work for you, not the other way around. That's something that I think we get confused. Sometimes we think leaders are loud and, and brash yeah. and maybe heartless. And, you know, certainly there's some successful leaders out there that we all know about that we've read about that are kind of were that way, but I, I just don't believe in that kind of leadership. So I think you get the best out of people when they know how much you care about them. Yeah. It's, it's radical today. That's actually quite radical. And, and, and just the emotional intelligence behind that and knowing that that's just human basic needs. It's, I think it's fantastic. One of the things that I'm curious about too, from a product development standpoint, or even your business structure, what gap did you initially see Cotopaxi filling so that you had Patagonia, North Face, Columbia, you obviously saw some gaps that were missing. What were those? Yeah, I did see some gaps, you know, and, and I think people, uh, you know, early investors, they thought I was, I was crazy. Like they didn't understand there's so many great brands in the outdoor industry and there really are, uh, you know, why does your brand even need to exist? And how do you even, how do you compete against those kind of players? And, but the gaps that I saw were number one, I didn't see a brand that was built around people. I saw lots of brands built around the environment. I love the environment as an outdoorsman. It's something I want to yeah. protect. And we, we think a lot about that with our brand. 94% of all of our products are made of remnant and recycled material. Mm. It's something that we care deeply about. But for me, that's table stakes. That's not a competitive advantage anymore. That, we have to do that. Um, so for me, it was really building a brand around people and humanity. And while there's a lot of, of outdoor brands that say, okay, we're going to save the planet. They can save the planet. Uh, we're going to save humanity. You know, you can't just focus on protecting the, the planet if you're not helping people and, and the people that especially that have been left behind that are the first people to be impacted by the yeah. way we destroy the planet. So um, that was probably the biggest area of opportunity. And I felt that would resonate with a young consumer, you know, millennial Gen Z consumer that I felt, you know, Patagonia and these other uh, brands, they were kind of their, this, this young generation, that was their parent. Those were their parents' brands or even right. their grandparents' brands. So Cotopaxi, speaking of, you, when you talk about helping humanity, is part of Pledge 1%, which means you're committed to giving at least 1% of your revenue from right uh, towards ending poverty. In your annual impact report released in January, despite 2020 being a crazy and challenging year, you gave nearly a million dollars to help 800,000 people, providing malaria treatment for over half a million people, 2.8% of your revenue. What do you say when you mentioned helping humanity and, and saving humanity, what do you say to entrepreneurs who are running small businesses who also 
want to invest the resources conscientiously, but also might be strapped for resources. I mean, did you face that? I mean, you obviously faced that early on because oh, yeah. it was the beginning part of your mission. Yeah, I know we did face this. And, you know, the first five or so years of our business, we gave away, we gave away all of our profits. Uh, we didn't, we had no profits left. We gave away every penny we made and more. Mm. Um, so it was a big sacrifice. It was, it was a little scary at times. Um, but I really believed in our purpose and why we needed to exist. And so, yeah, so, you know, last year, while we were, you know, we faced some big challenges last year, like everyone else, uh, yeah. we had some big headwinds. We ended up with a better year than I think most did. And so uh, we felt it was an opportunity for us to give more than our 1% commitment. And so, you know, we obviously have to balance that with how do we be responsible stewards of this brand that that's growing and we need to invest, you know, back into the business, but we felt there was a, an opportunity for us to do a little bit more. And so it was, it was awesome. It felt great, actually. I think one um, very instructional part of the, the way you've built your business is around product design and supply chain philanthropy. And one part of Cotopaxi's mission is this, can you explain what I, what that phrase means, supply chain philanthropy and, and how it helps throughout the supply chain? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, this is a great question, Bobby. So I think, I think one of the ways, the most obvious way that people think about businesses doing good is giving away profits. It's giving away their money to go help in the world in some way. And that's certainly a, an important part of it. But for us, it just felt, it would, it would feel disingenuous if we were saying, we're going to go help fight poverty. If in, within our own supply chain, the people touching our own product were living in poverty. You know, yeah. we needed to make sure that wasn't the case. And so, uh, you know, we've invested a lot into our supply chain and making sure that we're using partners that are aligned with our values. Uh, you know, we use a number of fair trade factories. We've gone into factories and, and, you know, we don't have, we don't have anything prescriptive. It's not like we come in and say, okay, you have to do this. You have to do that. We come in and listen and we ask questions and we find opportunities to have an impact in each community. So, you know, one of our factories, we, we invested in building a community garden. Uh, where the factory workers could take fruits and vegetables back home to their families every night. Mm. Um, you know, it, we have another factory where we started, we empowered the sewers to go design their own bags using remnant materials. Instead of telling them what to sew, they could be creative themselves. And so, you know, every factory has unique challenges and unique opportunities. And so we try to understand those. And uh, it's really amazing the impact that you can have on so many people just by working in your supply chain to be more ethical instead of just yeah. driving down price to the half penny, which it, people do, we're not as concerned about that. It's like, let's pay fair wages. Let's pay the factory fair prices for what we're gonna make. And if we do this right, we believe that uh, you know customers will support us. Yeah, and, and the, the buyer today, especially coming through the pandemic is far more conscientious about supply chain. And, and we've seen that increase radically over the past, I think 18 months where folks want to be, and they're very interested in supply chain now, whereas you couldn't have that conversation with buyers you know, a couple of years ago even. And now they're just so interested in where is it coming from and who's being impacted? Is it impacting not only our local community, but how far up the supply chain? So it's a great time for this too. It is, you know, and I love this. I love that this, these conversations are happening. Yeah, you know, when I, when I started that first business, the, the pooltables.com business, very random business, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I had never even thought of these things. And yeah. even when I was visiting factories, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that anyone had talked about in school or that I heard other businesses talking about. So 
I've frankly learned a lot over the years and um, I'm so glad that the whole world is kind of opening their eyes to this being an important issue. Yeah. One brilliant example of how you sort of multiply your influence as a brand and your voice as a brand is through your partners in this beautiful summer 2021 camp collection that you released, along with our friend Brian Pape with Mirror, whom we had uh, here interviewing as well, and how um, creating these partnerships have really magnified your influence. It just thought it was a fun campaign. We And those of us that are doing corporate merchandise can learn from that because here you partner with three, maybe four great brands. I think it was three great brands. Um, and just, uh, you know, Rising Tide raises all ships and that was a great effort can you share a little bit behind that story yeah you know i i love collaborating uh you yeah. know when you think of business a lot of times you think of competing and how do you beat your competitor and some of these people that we collaborate with are you know they hypothetically <laughs> competitors you know like right. we're, we've made our own bottles before like they're a competitor right. for us but the way i look at it is like you know what like if you can find ways to work together sometimes one plus one equals more than two yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, it makes me happy when we can partner with good people and good brands that care about some of the same things that we care about. And we can we can create a great product together. And uh, at the end of the day, their customers learn about us. Our customers learn about them. And it's a win yeah. for everybody. So uh, I love I love collaborating. We've got a lot more in the works right now. That's great. And you reach so many more people with an audience. So you would think that you have a limited audience, but really like the Teva is a great example. So the shoes from Teva, by the way, I love, but the Teva is a great example because then you not only are reaching consumers, new consumers, new buyers, but also you're impacting the world because in that particular case, you both are focusing on the girls and boys club of America and your markets and raising somewhere around the goal was $30,000, just that collaboration. So it's kind of fun. I'll bet that adds an element of richness to it for your team too, as you're building this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you can find a local partner and that's what we're trying to do with these collaborations. A lot of our work is focused on the developing world. That's where, that's where I grew up. It's where so much of, I think the world's need is at the same time, we have so much need in our own backyards and we find these local collaborations give us a little more flexibility to go find a partner that we really believe in here that we can support. And so that's certainly a a really fun element of the collaborations we've done. Yeah. That's cool. Now, International Rescue Committee, UN Foundations, nothing but Nets, Mercy Corp. Those are just a few that you and the organization support. Are there other charities that are, that are really close to your heart? Are there a few you want to mention here that we can learn about? Yeah, yeah, there are some. I mean, those are some of my favorites, and they are they are really doing some remarkable work. One of the organizations that I really love is an, is an organization called the Academy for Creating Enterprise. I learned about it when I was in college. And uh, the man who started it had been a successful entrepreneur and he was about 60 years old or maybe late fifties. And uh, instead of going and retiring and using his money to just kind of go enjoy life, he and his wife moved to the Philippines and they started a, a school that taught entrepreneurship. They had 25 people at a time that would live in this large home that they, that they bought and they went and lived, he and his wife lived in a small little apartment nearby. Wow. And uh, for two months, they would teach them how to start their own businesses. So they'd graduate with their own little business and they'd bring in a new cohort of 25. Uh, they now have this program throughout Latin America, the Philippines, and a few other parts of the world. So they're training tens of thousands of people a year and um, they're changing thousands of lives and they're empowering people that are smart, that are hardworking, that are ambitious. Uh, but just have had no opportunity simply because of where they were born. And so I'm a big fan of the work they're doing. 
I want to step back just a minute and go back to another topic, because I think this is a fascinating part of who you are as a person. One of the most refreshing admissions in the Guy Raz, How I Built This episode was you mentioning a lot of self-doubt when you started Cotopaxi and whether or not you could pull this off. Um, what a lot of folks may not know is that you're a survivalist. So you've survived shark-infested waters. You've slept in jungles <laughs> with jaguars. What's that about? And what what did you <laughs> learn about? So what? how does survivalism equate to entrepreneurship? Obviously, a lot of heads are nodding that it does equate how did you how did you equate survivalism and entrepreneurship yeah you know i started doing these types of experiences with my dad when i was a kid and uh we lived in latin america and uh you know we you know go float the amazon river on a self-made raft and fish for piranha like this was crazy behavior i thought it was normal and uh <laughs> you know i i really developed a love for the outdoors and for adventure and for doing hard things and um you know, I've, I've certainly, you know, I think especially in a time of crisis, like last year, I started really recognizing the link between these experiences that I loved having in the outdoors, where I'd go survive on an island with no food and, you know, spear my own fish and eat coconuts to survive. It was your ability to respond and prioritize where it was like, okay, when you, when you land on an island and you're like, I have nothing, you, you know what you need to focus on first. And it's not like, making the most beautiful shelter. It's like any shelter that, that will give me some coverage was good enough. Now it's time to go get a fire going and it's time to get some food and it's time to make sure I have water. So you end up to pri end up prioritizing things that you need to survive. And I think the same thing happened last year in the pandemic. It was, yeah. uh, we have to survive. And so there's a bunch of distractions, but we're going to focus on yeah. the very core elements of the things that we have to do. Um, you know, another thing that I've learned, you know, you know, talking about sharks, you know, when you are, when you're hungry and you spear fish and all of a sudden there's a shark that's on top of you wanting that fish, uh, it's very easy to respond in fear and you have to be very disciplined to respond, uh, to stay strategy focused. And so that was, uh, another lesson that I was able to apply last year is stay very focused on our on our core mission. Our mission was to fight poverty. Our mission was to make the world better. We made that our key focus. And by doing that, uh, people responded in support of our brand. And so um, I, I could I could probably do a whole podcast just yeah, on I'm it. sure. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure. I love it. Yeah. I love your point about distractions because it is about essentialism, really, is what it what it, it goes back to. And one of the interesting things, I took this. I had this question um, I wanted to ask that just came up uh, about scaling your business as you grow, because that's about essentialism as well. Like, how do you maintain that intimacy as you're growing? And you know, you've got big ambitious plans for Cotopaxi. Um, and I'm sure that's a big part of, of your passion is how to maintain that intimacy. It's got to be tied to that essentialism somehow. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, there's a great book called Essentialism. I don't know. No, I, I didn't know that. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bobby, you got to read this book. It I, is I like do. One, write it it is one of my, yeah, written by Greg McEwen. Uh, okay. One of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years. And so I read it earlier this year. But yes, like identifying, uh, being able to say no to things. And yeah. uh, as a founder, as uh, as any anyone in an organization, you have to learn how to say no at times so that you can say yes to the things that matter most. And so yeah. for me as a founder, as a CEO of a brand that really is about giving back and doing good, it'd be really easy to get start getting pulled into all the the little elements of the business that are going to take me away from the focus of making an impact. And pretty soon the impact becomes secondary. I will not let that happen. It is so yeah. core to why we, it's the reason we exist. We don't exist to sell backpacks or jackets. 
We exist to fight extreme poverty and we make a really amazing, you know, set of gear and colorful, you know, products that we love that allow us to go do good. But that's, that's not, you know, making those products isn't the reason we exist. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's important to stay, to understand, understand your why uh, before anything else. Yeah. Um, last question. You recently bought back your first business, pooltables.com, which is a fascinating story, but your mission is probably a little different now than it was when you first bought it. And there, I read that you had said that now your mission with pooltables.com is to enrich lives through the power of play. Now with your experience building Cotopaxi, you've got this rare opportunity that none of us hardly ever get, which is to sort of start over. What would the mature Davis Smith tell the younger Davis Smith starting his first business over again. Oh man. You know, this is just the craziest turn of events. I never would have imagined this was going to happen. It was not on my radar. Um, but the man I'd sold the business to, he was retiring and he found a buyer to buy the business and he reached out to me and I, I had a little bit of equity still in the business. So, and so he was just updating me out of courtesy and I heard about it and was like, that's great. You know, good for him. I uh, found a great buyer. It's, it's a small public company that was going to be buying it. And, uh, the more I thought about it, I just felt like I had unfinished business. I, that business, I started with the intent of trying to find a way to help people. In fact, all of our passwords, Bobby, in that business were tied to doing good and helping other people, but not, but the business had no social impact. Like I just didn't know how to link the two together. Right. Uh, and it just, the more I thought about it, it was like, I know how to do it now. Like yeah. it's, you know, I sold that business over, over a decade ago. I didn't know what I was doing in my twenties. I was learning how to become an entrepreneur mm. and I'm still learning, but like, I, I have so much more experience now. I just felt like I know exactly what to do with that business. I know how to make it more sustainable. I know how to build the mission into that business. And we're going to go use that business to go fight poverty alongside Cotopaxi. So I'm, yeah, super, super excited about it. I found a CEO to go run it and uh, he's really smart. I mean, if, if I had to choose him or me to run the business, I choose him. Like, he's he's going to do a great job. Right. So, Right. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited about it. Enrich lives, the power play. I love it. Davis, thank you so much. And, and for those tuning in, join us January 9th in Las Vegas at SKUCon, where you're going to hear Davis talk about this and talk about just this, this compassionate leadership and what they're doing through Cotopaxi and share more of the story there. But Davis, thanks so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks, Bobby. This was great. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.